It's November 1st, 2021, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Poshmark launches a new brand closet program to cozy up to big brands. MailChimp and Shopify kiss and make up. UPS earnings highlights volume and profit growth. Amazon launches in-store pickup options for marketplace sellers. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news. Poshmark launches a brand closet program to cozy up to big brands. After years of insisting it was just a consumer-to-consumer marketplace, Poshmark launched a new program for large brands to create a new storefront directly on Poshmark to connect to its Gen Z and millennial customers. The program allows brands to list new items on Poshmark and advertise to those customers. Brands are able to share limited-time products through the Drop Soon feature, conduct one-on-one clientele through My Shoppers, and drive awareness through branded Posh Parties. The logistics behind this program appear to be powered by Commerce Hub, which Poshmark is using for EDI connectivity for warehouses and brands. Given the number of large fashion brands connected to Commerce Hub's retailers, this is likely meant to reduce onboarding and management friction for Poshmark. The biggest confusion in this announcement is on the Poshmark website, which indicates this is about new inventory. What is Poshmark thinking here? The only answer I can come up with is that it believes that its customers are looking for new items, to which I say yes and no. People don't go to Poshmark for overpriced new drops. They go for gently used gems. Where is the brand alignment here? What Poshmark should be doing is selling brands to sell end-of-life returns through the platform or bill itself as the next generation of social off-price selling. Advertising services for brands are also another possibility, but you don't need Commerce Hub integration for that. You just need a retail media platform. Sadly, I predict that selling new in-season merchandise on Poshmark will fail as quickly as eBay's ill-fated fashion vault, which also attempted to attract brands to sell new in-season merchandise. So maybe they have something else in mind? Our second story, MailChimp and Shopify kiss and make up. Last year, MailChimp took a very public shots at Shopify as it removed itself from the Shopify app store. The big dispute at the time was about the sharing of data. Shopify and its app store terms of service demanded that any data collected by one of its third-party integrations be shared back with the company, which MailChimp objected to. As a result, MailChimp took its toys and went home, removing its app from the Shopify app store. With Intuit's recent acquisition of MailChimp, it appears that both companies found themselves in a bad situation. A popular e-commerce platform and a popular mailing platform without any connectivity between the two simply hurts both parties. Both are at massive scale and there is a huge overlap between the two customer bases. Any friction between these companies, which incidentally are not direct competitors, seems somewhat petty in retrospect. Although MailChimp does offer website and some e-commerce services, this reconciliation indicates that Intuit is not planning on going head-to-head with Shopify, at least for the moment. Or at the very least, there is some degree of competition planned here. The fact that Intuit ultimately was the one that folded to Shopify here has to be at least somewhat concerning to Intuit, and something of a coming out party for Shopify in terms of its leverage. One has to wonder if Shopify made any concessions not to build its own accounting solution in exchange for this, or if it just resolved through Intuit's own actions. (laughs) 
Our third story, UPS earnings highlight volume and profit growth. I listened to the UPS earnings call last week and what I found was astonishing from a company execution point of view, particularly in contrast to FedEx. These year-over-year stats really tell the story for me. Revenues are up 9.2% year-over-year. Profits grew over 22%. And UPS's small and medium business segment grew over 10% with all classes of customers in that segment growing. At the same time, UPS improved both revenue and profitability. The company also improved utilization and improved its operating leverage with respect to labor. The company eliminated 10% of daily trailer loads by improving cube utilization. It also decreased direct labor hours per day associated with shipping by 5.1%. These continued trends mean that UPS is finding smarter process and technology solutions to combat the driver and worker shortage. The overall impression I got from the call was of a company that's found its stride. At the top level, CEO Carol Tomei is very clear about who UPS is and who it is not. Even noting on the call, quote, we used to think every package was the same. We don't think that anymore, end quote. My takeaway is that UPS clearly prioritized high margin, small and medium business, small parcel volume, which is the fastest growing segment in all of shipping right now. I also find it funny that no one would say Amazon's name on the call, making it somewhat akin to Voldemort from Harry Potter. Instead, reporters and analysts referred to Amazon as your largest customer, even though everyone on the call knew who they were talking about. This came up because UPS mentioned it is willing to walk away from unprofitable or unplanned spikes in Amazon volume. In reference to the rise of Amazon's own logistics solutions, Carol Tomei says, we are a part of their supply chain, not their entire supply chain. Truer words were never spoken. But all this pales in comparison to the contrast to FedEx and its last earnings call. Recall a few weeks back on the podcast, we talked about FedEx's poor execution caused primarily by rising costs to hire and retain workers. Because some facilities weren't staffed well, this caused millions of dollars in unexpected costs and many parcels being rerouted around those understaffed hubs. UPS's response to this situation was underscored by Carol Tomei saying that They are the best at hiring and managing expenses in this area. Talk about a shot across the bow of FedEx. And our last story. Amazon launches in-store pickup option for marketplace sellers. Annie Palmer from CNBC reports that Amazon will start enabling its millions of marketplace sellers to offer pickup in-store options and local delivery to its buyers. Sellers will also be able to offer product assembly and installation services. One limitation I want to point out is that sellers need to offer not just pickup and store, they also need to offer local delivery within 25 miles of the pickup location. What's more, there are no additional fees to the Amazon program. It appears to be gated right now, but I expect that in early 2022, it will become more generally available. I'm surprised this story hasn't gotten more play, as this is a huge sea change in the Amazon marketplace. It's the first tie-up between digital and physical that involves Amazon sellers directly. First, there's a massive cyclical trend toward pickup and curbside services. Walmart and Target are taking advantage of this, leaving Amazon out in the cold without a solid retail footprint. Second, the ability to offer additional installation and assembly services could provide new margin opportunities for sellers. But like anything, it could also present new opportunities for abuse of the platform. Third, These new options could be a boon for heavy, bulky sellers who don't want to move inventory around 
and need things like white glove service to facilitate proper delivery. There are services Amazon Fulfillment will not be able to match on its own. Fourth, it still remains to be seen how far Amazon will take this. I went to Amazon's website and watched its video and was surprised to see my old friend Bob Tornquist, a longtime ex-Amazon Tesco Marketplace veteran and now current Amazoner again as the lead product manager on this. That gives me some hope that this could be implemented well. Finally, a closer relationship between a marketplace seller and its buyers could allow these sellers to capture more buyer information at the point of sale. This is another big advantage of the marketplace sellers in this program. And an unexpected change this could likely result in more complexity for Amazon sellers who want to take advantage of this feature, particularly if the seller has more than one location. Amazon may need more sophisticated order management systems to handle the change in route orders properly. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, dropship provider Logic Broker brings in its first big money in a $135 million raise. Dropshipping describes a practice between a retailer and a supplier whereby the supplier ships directly to the consumer from their own facility rather than from the retailer's facility. Second, Singapore-based Temasek invested a $200 million in robotics and micro-fulfillment provider Fabric. The modifier micro and micro-fulfillment refers to the size of the facility. Because of its small footprint, micro-fulfillment enables fulfillment capabilities directly from where they are needed, usually within an existing location, such as the back office of a retail store. Third, e-commerce aggregator Thrasio raised $1 billion in new funding from technology investor Silver Lake, making it the most well-funded Amazon aggregator in the market. Thrasio CEO Carlos Cashman, who incidentally has the best name in e-commerce, indicates this new funding means that the company will stay private for the foreseeable future. Fourth, cloud-based merchandising and planning provider Tulio raised $8 million in a Series A led by Jump Capital. Merchandise planning is a traditional retail function which helps merchants decide what products to order and when. And finally, in its first acquisition after its big fundraising, Assembly acquired privately held software provider PackView, which handles marketplace advertising for merchants on Amazon and Walmart. And a bonus story for listeners. If you didn't see, Amazon's chairman Jeff Bezos launched his new $500 million Dyna Rig super yacht recently. Yes right in the middle of a global pandemic. Okay, it's official, Watsonians. I'm making up my own award here, calling it the first annual Pandemic Tone Deaf Billionaire Award. Congratulations, Jeff Bezos. Sail right into Manhattan Harbor in New York City to collect your prize. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.